Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, our weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Samard. And uh, today we're going to talk about never. Never. Uh, it's kind of kind of a mysterious type. Yes, a very mysterious type. And uh, there was a recent proposal to have never conform to uh, equatable and hashable. And maybe before we dive into that, we can uh, touch on what never is. Yeah. What is never? Uh, well, so n- never, so I've seen this discussed in the last few months um, more and more, especially in the context of like a formal type theory and the things that you can do with algebraic data types. And, um, you know, I think. A lot of us uh, who aren't type theory uh, experts, so to speak, um, might have a hard time kind of relating that back to practical and tangible things that uh, this provides to you as a Swift developer. And hopefully we can touch on those a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So I guess we can start with the actual implementation, maybe. Sure. Uh, So... It is declared in the standard lib. If you go to uh, the Swift repo, it's in standard lib public core policy.swift. Policy? Yeah. That sounds so <clears throat> governmental. Right. Uh, and the, yeah, the big header comment here, uh, it's standardized uninhabited type. And it's a public enum never. So it's a an empty, a caseless Enum. Caseless. Uh, it sounds like you're insulting it. Right. <laughs> you're so caseless, Jesse. Right. Uh, and that is all it is, but it has um, all of these interesting properties, I guess, uh, when you think about type theory. Uh, so you mentioned... Fatal error, for example, returns never, right? So does that mean that it never returns? Right. I'm not trying to do a play on words here, you know, like I'm I'm asking for real, you know. Right. Uh, Yeah, I really have no idea. I think that is what it says. I think it says that, uh, you know, anything beyond that point uh, will not be executed Mm -hmm. because this function doesn't return. It terminates. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Which is why you'd get uh, some warnings from the Swift compiler if you do have code that immediately follows a fatal error. It'll say this code won't be executed. Right. Similar to if you have code after a return statement. Right. Which right. is the opposite of never because it does return, but it does mean that uh, execution um, like won't continue after this point in the scope. Yeah. Yeah. And taking a step back, so every function in Swift has a return value. The default is void, which is the empty tuple. And uh, yeah, it's weird how this kind of fits into that whole story, I guess. Right. Yeah, I guess um, important to disambiguate void versus never. Yeah, Um, they are. One is a type, 
I well. Well, they're both types. Well, yeah, I guess they're both types. So I think the the difference is that um, Boy, never yeah. is uninhabitable, so it has zero potential values. Yes, uh, right. and We're, you can't create one. Right. Um. Uh, and so we'll get to like, well, then how is it actually useful a little later? <laughs> yeah. With void, it only has a single possible value itself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can Which, create one. You just do the open parenthesis. Yeah. Empty tuple or void initializer. Yeah. But there's only ever one value, one oh, potential value. I can think you do like spell void and then have friends? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just I've like, never tried that. Just like most uh, most types with initializers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the empty tuple is semantic sugar over void parens. Yeah. I'm going to start returning uh, capital void parens from all of my void functions now. Yeah. Even those without an explicit void return type? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Why I mean, not? Yeah. I mean, I just want to be explicit, you know? Self dot everywhere, return void everywhere. We're going to get it's, so much feedback from this. <laughs> you, do you just long for the days of Objective-C verbosity that you like want to have return void everywhere? I just want everything spelled out. Yeah, I see. that's going to be my new thing. Well, it's very considerate of you for your coworkers <laughs> to make sure that they know what's happening here. Yeah, I'll add a SwiftLint rule to mandate. Must return void? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. Um, getting back to never. <laughs> so, so when you when you think of in type theory, uh, and again, not an expert here, but never has zero possible values. You can't create one. Yep. You'll never have one. Yeah. Um, void has a single possible value, uh, which which gets interesting when when you start thinking about. Um, protocols and uh, semantic meaning and semantic operations that you can perform on types, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, um, void conforms to equatable and hashable, uh, but you can return zero in your hashable implementation, and that's right. actually a performant a performant uh, uh, <laughs> implementation. <laughs> right. So you'll feel right at home, Jesse. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then with equatable, void always equals to itself. Because it, you can never have two different values of void th th with different values. Yeah. It's a single value. Yeah, I think actually uh, one of my team members uh, at PlanGrid, Arjun, actually implemented, uh, he had a pull request to make the empty tuple conform to equatable and hashable. This was a while back. Oh, that's cool. But it used to not conform to equatable and hashable. Yeah. Well, if you go back long enough, I guess there was a time where there was no void. <laughs> or it was all void. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now we're getting philosophical. Uh, that's cool. So, but, but then how does that, how does that transfer over to never, right? Like what is a reasonable implementation of never's equatable and never's hashable? That's a good question. Okay. Let's, let's ask this a different way. Why would it be useful for never to conform to equatable and hashable? Dramatic silence. Well, that's a question <laughs> yeah. for you, man. Yeah. Like, um, or okay, let's ask it a third third way. Maybe like maybe one of these will help. Um, why is it correct for never to conform to equatable or hashable? Right. I think that's the most interesting question, mm -hmm. actually. Um, but I don't know the answer. Okay. Um, uh, I'm I'm going to take a crack at uh, at this. Maybe maybe you can pitch in. Mm -hmm. um, 
when I'm when I'm going down the wrong path. So, um, because you can never have an instance of never, it's an uninhabitable type. Right. And to, to clarify that further, it's, you know, if this were a struct, you could have an initializer, but an enum without cases, there is no initializer. So it's impossible to construct one. Right. Yeah. And another way to put it is an enum can, o- can only have as a value one of its case members. And if there are no case members, then there are no values. Right. A type with no value. Right. It's so weird. Yeah, you're so caseless. Um, and so if you can't have one, then um, it is correct. I, we'll, we'll defer the discussion about whether or not it's useful for now, but it is correct to uh, say that uh, it is equatable um, because you should be able to compare them but you'll never have one. Um, right, so, but what does it mean to compare nothing? Right, but to compare nothing... Uh, it's like the like, absence of comparing. Yeah, sure, but you can you can define the equality as something that'll, that'll never be exercised. Like that code path will never be exercised. And so you could right. technically like just write anything in there. But in... In type theory, uh, and again, like I lack the vocabulary to like, f- like use the right terms here. But um, in type theory, if if you can prove that it is possible, like that there's an obvious implementation of an operation on types, then you, you've eff- effectively proven that it's correct for that to implement it, and that there's like an obvious implementation. And because mm-hmm. never never has any value then that implementation can be anything. But um, the the reasonable way to implement it, like, for example, equatable, would be to switch over the left-hand side and the right-hand side. And if you do this switch, uh, you're switching over two enums, right? Like a tuple of two enums. Mm-hmm. And so just generalize this in your head. Like if the enums, if this enum type had a single case, then this switch would have, like you could have switch, um, it, it would only have a single case. Yeah. Right, like if you're switching over a tuple of void on the left and void on the right, like void equatability, mm-hmm. right? Considering that void is like a, a tuple of a single type. Yeah. Right, it's not implemented like that, I think, but it could. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, your switch would have a single statement. Yeah. And in that statement, it would return true. Yeah. Now, you remove that one case. You can switch over this enum that has no cases. How many case statements are there in your, in your switch statement? Right, there would be zero. There would be zero. But then this function, equal equals, returns a bool. So where's the return statement here? It's not there. And, and that's still fine. That still compiles because the switch is exhaustive, i.e., there are no members, there are no case statements. Right. And you have every every case returns a bool, which is zero in this case. What do you mean by that? Uh, by that, I mean the switch is exhaustive. Oh. Because there are no unhandled enum members. Right. And every handled enum member, which is none, returns a bool. Right. 
Yes, yes. Sorry, I I got confused when you said zero. You meant zero cases. Zero cases. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't return zero. Right. Uh, yes. So every case is handled, of which there are no cases, and thus they all return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a mind warping concept. But, yes. Um. You know, the compiler. I don't think you know has too much special knowledge of like this special case state because yeah. it's just a general it's just uh one case of the generalized concept that's used everywhere else of like switching and returning yeah yeah and it's also i guess important to point out that this would well this could never be called exactly huh. see what i did there i do and the same goes for the hashable implementation it's just well, there is no return value to the the new hashable uh, hash into uh, function, but um, it's just empty because again, there's no value in which to hash into the hasher. Right. So, so a smart compiler might um, eliminate these functions altogether from the binary because right. they're unexercised code. Yeah, I'd actually be very interested to see if. Like what is produced when you compile this? Yeah, be easy to to test. Mm-hmm. Well, and since it's never exercised, you'd think that it'd be eliminated as dead code. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've talked about why it's correct, uh, like in a roundabout way, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely, like listen to to someone who knows a little bit more about this stuff, like. Uh, uh, Brandon Williams and Stephen Sellis in Point Free because they yeah. definitely know their their type theory and yeah. they'll do a much better job of explaining this than we can. But I want to get into why is this useful? Why go through all this trouble just to please like the the type theory purists? Um, yeah, just because it can be done. Like, yeah. why actually go through this? How is it useful um, in in practice? Isn't that the point of writing a compiler to please the type theory purists? <laughs> I don't know. Say that to the hundreds of thousands of apps on the app store that right. use this compiler. Right. Like, right. There's a very right. practical outcome here. Yeah. So the example that the author provides in the proposal here, which is uh, SE215, uh, the example is conforming never to equatable and hashable so that it uh, can be used uh, with a result type. Uh, for example, never could be used for the value to represent a result uh, that always errors or never could be used for the error to represent something that never errors. So there seems to be this motivation for uh, composability with never. Right, because then the question that naturally comes up there is, well, why would you use a result type if it can never fail? Like, just return the value. Right. Silly, right? Or, or if it always errors, then uh, just return the error. Right. But then why would you write a function that just always returns an error? Well, why is fatal uh, error useful? Uh, it doesn't return an error. Okay, it returns never, but... yeah. Um, if if you have a constructor, like a function that ret- always returns an error, because that's what you like, you construct a, a parameterized error 
Yeah. And and you want to throw that or you want to uh, handle that somehow. Mm-hmm. It is useful to always return an error. I guess. Yeah, um, I, maybe, maybe I can explain it a little better. So yeah. like say you're writing, um, uh, I mean, a, a command line tool yeah. in Swift and um, you want to like in, in an error branch of mm-hmm. this, say like file not found, you want to create an error with a customized error message that includes the file name. So you call this function, create make error, you pass in the file name and it returns to you an error. Uh, that always returns an error. Sure. Right? So that's that's one example. Yeah. So right, the, the question remains, you know, why not just avoid result in this example and just return the, the branch that you care about? Right. And you said it, it's composability. Exactly. Um, there's this programming pattern of using results and like you have a, a pipeline of functions that always process taking a result and return a result. Right. And I think I've seen this uh, described as railway programming, where the top rail is kind of the success case of the result, and you basically don't deal with any ha- error handling in that in that happy path. Yeah. Right. But then at any point you can you can return an an error of your result branch, mm-hmm. and then that switches rails. Yeah. And then you're basically in the error rail the whole way until like it bubbles all the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you is the only way this works is with a result at every step of the way mm-hmm. and if you like remove one of the results because something always fails or something always succeeds then you lose this composability right so then the question is is pleasing the the type system so to speak worth this you know it's like oh is that the main motivation for conforming never to equatable and hashable so that you can express this because you're in this like very specific paradigm uh, using result types and having these composable functions? Obviously, there are like other ways to express this. Right. Yeah, and the result example is exactly that. It is an example. There are other right. um, use cases for using never, mm-hmm. and we can look to the standard libraries to how it's used. Uh, for example, fatal error returns never. Um, yeah. Abort returns never. Right. Things like that. Uh, and precondition probably returns never, uh, or maybe not. I don't no, think no. so. Yeah, precondition. It, I think it treated. returns void. Yeah, yeah. But it right. can call fatal error within it. Right. Right. That's just like uh, you know you can you can call a function that returns an int from a parent function that returns void. Right. right. Like yeah, you can yeah. choose to omit to like not bubble up that return. Right. Right. Um, but effectively, like there, this conformance. To equatable and hashable, I think can provide uh, can can smooth over some of the edge cases where uh, you might be interacting with a function that produces a never with other code. So one example might be, um, you know, if you if you're using um, a type in a collection, and that collection needs to be equatable and hashable um, 
but there's an unexercisable code path in there mm -hmm. that might produce an element, then you'd still want your collection to conform to equatable and hashable, even though like for implementation reasons, you might have to have a member in there that returns never. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with, with an example on the top of my head yeah. without writing it down. So maybe, maybe that's not a very good example, but I think there are other cases where you're interacting with never and you wouldn't want that to detract from the capabilities of the happy path, for example, right. uh, for conforming to equatable and hashable. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the obvious alternative is to use void for something in place of this. Like if, if we were thinking about result, your error, your value could be void or your um, error type in result could be void, which I don't know if people use that now as a workaround for this. People but. do, I think. Um, but uh, there's, there's a very different... Um, there, there's very different constraints that having never, like a result with never versus void has, right? Like you can create a result with with a void with a void value. You can't sure. create a result with a never value, right? And so it's like, you know, it's the concept of making your code more. I wouldn't say more obvious because like never is a concept that's a little foreign to a lot of uh, Swift developers, but mm -hmm. um, it is. Uh, more correct, I suppose. Yeah. Right, it's the difference between choosing not to create a, a void result versus not even being able to create a never result. Yes, right. It's safer in that regard, I guess. Right, because you do, even if you're representing this, uh, quote, impossible case, uh, void is still a value that you're sending. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I've used um I've used void value results to indicate um a success without any additional metadata. Right. Right? So you you can think of this as like an enum of dot success with no associated type. Yeah. And dot error with an error associated value. Mhm. Mm um where the dot success, you know, you, you, and actually I think the Swift compiler lets you have, uh, a close set of parens on, um, an enum member with no associated content. Oh, interesting. I think in some cases. Yeah. Hmm. I think you might have to explicitly type that as void, like case success, open paren void, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Actually, I think I think I might be mistaken in this case. Um I, uh -huh. I don't think Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can add no, you definitely can't. You definitely can't add those interchangeably. Um mm -hmm. because then the parser might think that you're trying to call a function. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Um but there are alternatives that uh that this proposal SE215 considered? Yeah. Uh, one is to make never conform to all protocols, which again is, uh, I guess, uh, technically uh, correct. 
if it were like if never conformed to mutable collection is that you know and the it would have i guess a valid implementation of that everything would be empty uh but so i'm not sure this would be correct because yeah. you can have members on the type mm -hmm. and a protocol can ascribe conformances to uh, type level members such as a static function or a static var mm -hmm. right like you can extend never the never type to have like <laughs> a singleton <Yeah>. implementation of <laughs> right. you know dot is static let shared never right well no because then you can't construct one well, you could if it was a function, because then it would return a never, and it would never return. Anyway, Wait, um, would that work? But but say like say you just had like uh, a static let um, member equals void. Okay, like you can extend never and yeah. add that. Yeah. Right, and and a protocol can have static type uh, requirements. Yeah. So if never didn't have those, then it wouldn't be able to conform to that. You could have never have a static never and just... Actually, you can't conform types to... A, well, you can conform types to a protocol, but it's the never dot type conforms to a protocol. So... Yes. So I guess never and instances of never, i.e. the never... Well, there are no instances of never. Yeah, I know, but yeah. every instance of never would conform to all protocols but you could still add yeah. oh my god this is getting so confusing yeah every instance would conform to all protocols but there are never any instances yes that but also like i guess types types can conform oh my god it's too confusing i i need to i need to right at the type here yeah at the, at the yes so at the type level but that is only if the protocol provides um static members static members yeah uh if they're instance members then it doesn't matter because you can never construct an instance yeah never. i i need to like try this in a playground at this point so this alternative was not considered because um it would require a lot more work to determine the design and implementation behavior across all protocols Seems like it's a bit too much to think about as we've kind of explored here anyway. <laughs> In any case, this this will need a little bit more uh more digging to to find out exactly uh how how the type may or may not be able to conform to the protocol. To every protocol. Uh I can't even think of uh many protocols that uh provide static members at the moment uh protocol yeah um it's not i don't think it's common yeah. um although actually i think i've used that in my own code mm -hmm. yeah i have so like in swiftlet for example um every rule is a, is a struct or could be class i guess but it conforms to the rule protocol and its identifier is um is the same for all instances of that rule, for example. So I have a static member 
that's the rule identifier on the type. Yeah. So I know anything that conforms, any type that conforms to this rule protocol, I can call a static member on its type mm-hmm. for the identifier. So yeah, I, yeah. I do think that this is actually fairly common. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that makes sense. And since you can extend never and you can call, uh, you know, you can't construct. Yeah. So I, I did this right now in a playground. You can construct a type of never. Like a reference to the type. Yeah, like the meta type. Yeah. Yeah. So never would be able to conform to all protocols with no static member requirements. But then, yeah, so I this is one of the reasons why this is listed um, in the Alternatives Considered and, and the author, uh, who's Matt Diephaus, um listed as something that would require a lot more work to determine the design and implement the behavior. Uh, because technically, for the same reasons why it's correct for never to conform to equatable and hashable, it's also correct for it to conform to any other protocol that has instance-only requirements. But I don't think this applies to any protocols that have even just one uh, static member requirement. Yeah, that would be the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you're, yeah. if, if you're still with us yeah. in this episode, uh, I, I applaud you because there's a lot of mental gymnastics here and we're yeah. kind of discovering this as we go. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to know like how to implement the behavior of which there would be none. There is no behavior because all of these members would do nothing because it's impossible to ever call them in the first place. Right. But it doesn't really matter how it's implemented. Um, I mean, it matters from a type theory standpoint, but it doesn't matter practically because it's it can all be eliminated as dead, dead code. Right. Which then it's like, why are we even <laughs> discussing writing this code? Well, and we yeah. covered this, right, in the right. motivation of, uh, well, there are times, I think this is especially useful with conditional conformance. Yeah. Because... You don't want the presence of never to take down a whole construct, like especially if you're composing it with other things, mm-hmm. and you want those other things to be equatable and hashable. You don't want just having one never in there to to ruin all of that for you. Yeah, right. You would never want that to happen. Boom. Uh, and they mentioned that in the alternatives here. We, you know, you could do all these uh, additional, all these conditional conformances, uh, but that gets pretty unwieldy. Um, and then, of course, the obvious alternative is to not include this in the standard lib, but then you impose that on all clients, all library authors who have to handle this independently, um, which um, can cause other problems down the line with multiple. Uh, implementations and I think we'll leave it at that Um, it's uh, an interesting proposal Uh, you can check out never in the standard lib Uh, you can find the show on twitter swift underscore unwrapped you can find me at jesse underscore squires you can find me on twitter at simjp and again I want to do a shout out to uh, pointfreeco is the twitter name uh, for Brandon Williams and Steven Sellis's uh, video series that explores Swift and functional programming and they discuss uh, never and, and more other m- 
more algebraic data type stuff um, in a smarter way than <laughs> I can anyway. Uh, so thanks for listening. <laughs>